Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup episode 119. Now this is where we round up the most important tech, digital and innovation highlights from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masubu and with me is my main man, Musa Kalenga. How's it bro? What's going on man? Glad to be back. Yes, we missed you last month man. You safe? Yeah, lots happening but I'm uh, yeah, I'm safe as uh, safe as nails. Um, I'm glad to be back and uh, hopefully we can have a fantastic show as usual. He's been How taking- could you be safe as nails man? What does that even mean? That's a really good phrase. Yeah. I like it. I'm going to steal it. What does it mean, though? It means that I'm actually not too safe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no. Tough as nails, too, this guy. And he's been taking a lot of deep breaths since he landed in the studio. I know the man's under pressure, but for good reason, man. Yeah, We're man. with you, my brother. Thank you. And we have a special guest in the building. You heard yes, the yes. man even before he was introduced. Uh, this is all right, man. He's the son of the Bahamas, no less. Marvin Colby, welcome to the African Tech Roundup, man. Appreciate it, my brothers. Very happy to be here. Yeah. In Johannesburg, South Africa. Mm. Very, very happy to be here. Indeed. Yes, well, sir. you, sir, are a venture lawyer, the founder of Ray's Impact, which is a blockchain company building a tokenized impact exchange to democratize private investments in emerging market companies. Quote, unquote. Wow. (laughs) Take out the blockchain. We're not a blockchain startup. That's like saying I'm an internet startup. That makes no sense. We're a startup doing what you said we do. All right. All right. So the man's pushing back. (laughs) Okay, that's good. But we're going to talk about all that and more a little later on. Um, You're here to help us wade through some of the more promising Africa-focused slash Africa-relevant blockchain and crypto developments happening around the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also plan to touch on, you know, related issues around data security, perhaps even the problematic notion of impact investing. Mm -hmm. I have an issue with, you know, impact as as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we'll talk about all of these things and more. But before we delve into all that, I have a Twitter beef to squash with you, sir. Yes, yes, Marvin. Now, Musa, please hold my laptop. I need to roll up my sleeve, Ding, 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 ding. Round one. Let's do it. Tell me. Oh, from yesterday. Yeah, here's what Marvin tweeted. Um, I'm I'm, I'm quoting here. He says, excited to be on the infamous African Tech Roundup podcast tomorrow with Andy Limasu and his team talking about blockchain, impact investment, data security and everything in between now what do you mean infamous let bro? me tell you why <laughs> did he tell you how we met uh, no no he didn't Please. we met because i sent him a message on twitter yeah. and i was like yo would like to talk to you etc but yeah. the reason it happens because i saw this man yeah. has a blue tick Oh, I see. You know when you have a blue tick oh, on Twitter? Oh, I see. You're doing well. You're doing your job. Oh, okay. So I sent him the message, and that's why I say infamous, because, dude, you have a blue tick next to you. Oh, okay. All right. You all made right. it. Listen, okay. this guy's saving it, because this is so like, beef, actually. It's, it's kudos. Yeah, so okay. that's why you, you coming at me so, like, uh, aggressive. I, th- no, I think man. this guy, he's, I think he's media trained. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, that's going on. So, because this is what I said back. I was like, infamous? Question mark. So much attitude. You're not planning to ruin our Unblemished record for outstanding citizenship. Are you, Marvin? Smiley well, face. Sm- well, it's That's actually not a smiley face. Is that, is that little it's my, it's, face? It's my new favorite. Um, except that it's yellow. Is that um, a closer look? <laughs> what does it mean? Is it a closer look icon? Is it a? So let me describe it. It's that yellow um, smiley, but the the dude with the the monocle, the monocle. Yeah, you know, he's looking cool. down. Thinking about you know, it. Like, yeah. He's wondering. Yeah, he's inspecting <laughs> this. You know, he's observing this. He's 
So, you know what I mean? For simple people, monocles, spectacles with one side only. Right? Yes, with <laughs> one side only, exactly. <laughs> Hashtag ATRU. Well, welcome, Marvin. I'm glad that the beef is squashed. We can now it's over, man. It, it turned from beef into kudos. So I can see go. what you did welcome, there, bro. Man. I see what you're doing, you're bro. Welcome. Keep it going. We like it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do this first, though. This episode of the Africa Tech Roundup is brought to you by the Afrobytes Tech Conference 2018. Now, listen, you do not want to miss this one, folks. We'll definitely be there it'll be an incredible two-day affair in paris now the event is slated for june 7th and 8th uh this year's theme of course is the rise of the african tech industry now once again we're pleased to be media partners with the team at afrobytes and we'll be bringing you the very finest game-changing insights from the event via this very podcast and it will be hosted at midef which is france's uh, largest entrepreneur network right in the heart of paris so here's your call to action folks Head over to afrobytes.com. That's afrobytes as in B-Y-T-E-S dot com to book your seat. And while you're there, check out the video of what went down last year to get a sense of what you missed out on if you weren't there and what you daren't miss out on this year. By the way, heads up, in May, we'll be sharing a secret stash of video content that we co-produced with the folks at Afrobytes. So look out for that. But in the meantime, again, get those tickets booked at afrobytes.com and see you in Paris. Listen, so I'm looking forward to the blockchain discussion that we're going to have a little later on. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's do a rundown of important ecosystem highlights from the last couple of months. And um, what we're going to do is, Marvin, I'm going to put stuff out there. Uh, You know, uh, Musa and I are going to chop it up. We fully expect you to factor in, like jump in like you did before you were even introduced. More mm-hmm. of that stuff, do that. Sure. <laughs> we want you. We want your, your your views on everything we're going to discuss. Actually, before I do that, I'm going to do something quite unprecedented. It's actually quite a, a dangerous precedent, given how many people reach out to us. But I want to give a special shout out to Deke. Um, that's D-double-E-Q. Um, Deke is based in Mogadishu, Somalia, and he's the gutsy founder of a Somali on-demand delivery business called Delivery. That's G-U-L-I-V-E-R-Y. Now, when you download their app, you apparently can you know, get food, groceries, and shopping delivered to your door. And, you know, a recent online interaction with Deke left me really inspired. It reminded me of who, you know, this is all for, like what mm-hmm. we do here at African Tech Roundup. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we really are a village of real people trying to make, you know, this Wakanda thing mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. We really are. And mm-hmm. you, you kind of get lost in, you know, in the sense of yourself or what you think is important and forget that there are real people involved and part of this thing. And so Deke... We see you, fam. Check out his hustle on delivery.com, G-U-L-I-V-E-R-Y. And perhaps I'm just touched by just how hard it is to do business in Somalia. If you know anything mm. of what's going down there, I know got good people uh, entrenched in that ecosystem. Mm. And, he, and, and Deke is now one of them. And just hats off to picking one of the hardest places to do business. And I know Deke could be doing business anywhere he wants in the world, but he chooses to do it there. Mm. And so, yeah, shout out to you, Deke. Mm. Uh, give him some encouragement on Twitter, at HQ. And yeah, man, thanks Bring again for, for making this worth our while. Mm. People Big like up. you make it work up. Yeah. Big yes. up. Can I jump in there with another yeah, shout yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. The same thing is very inspiring. Yeah. There's a school at, um, in Kalicha, mm. Cape Town, yeah. called Molum Shlaba. Yeah, Molum Shlaba. Uh, Morom Slava. Yeah, you did good. You did good. You get it? Yeah, yeah, good. Good. Yeah. I'm thinking of some Musa words. Um, Pan-African, all women and all girls, independent, private, low-fee school for STEAM education. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is literally what they do. Yeah. Oh, wow. All girls, STEAM, science, technology, 
engineering, arts, and mathematics. Yeah. Oh, wow. And they're doing incredible work. They're based in Kailicha. And shout out to them because they're doing the Wakanda. They actually are they're Wakanda actually doing in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. so maybe this might be an ongoing thing, what we do. We do, you know, we definitely carve out some time to give shout outs to people who totally deserve it. We see you, fam. We totally see you, fam. Thanks for making it happen. Yeah. All right, man. On to the news now. First up, let's address the elephant in pretty much every room, every room in the world literally. at the moment. Facebook. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. Every actually, room. actually, actually, <laughs> literally in every room. Every room. Uh, or pocket, for That's that matter. scary, man. It is scary, right? Wow, when you put it that way. Mm-hmm. So I reckon breach of trust pretty much sums it up. My current yeah. issue with uh, Facebook is how Reuters recently revealed that Mark Zuckerberg has decided that the rest of the world doesn't really need the strict levels of privacy that Facebook has promised to adhere to in Europe. Um, so I hope you're listening, African policymakers. I hope you're listening because as it turns out, what's good for Europe and either, you know the European Union, nah, not, not necessarily good for us here on the continent. What, mm. what with sort of Zuckerberg saying he agrees in spirit with, with what the, the EU is demanding and asserting that, you know, they adhere with the law everywhere else in the world and don't see the need to sort of apply what they're doing in Europe everywhere else in the you know what? I, I don't I don't know. Ah must help me. I, I, yeah, I think policymakers, especially in Africa, have got uh have got a, a challenging a challenging job, right? Yeah. So they're essentially trying to create policy in an environment where most of the stakeholders don't actually understand what is happening. Mm-hmm. Number one, number two, um, creating policy that's going to fundamentally protect the interests of the man on the street um, in an environment where stakeholders have no idea what's going on is really difficult because you will not get consensus and you not you won't agree. Now, coming from that and trying to make sure that you implement something and you have conversations with companies like, or you have to essentially integrate companies that like Facebook um, makes for very difficult kind of navigation uh, uh, space for policymakers. Having said that, um, Zuckerberg agreeing in spirit, it goes back to his narrative that he's followed over the last couple of years around um, the principle of openness, which is what Facebook is founded on. Um, And in a funny way, I still do believe that in his uh, somehow naive standpoint, he's right. Right. Um, there are a lot of variables that need to be taken into consideration, especially when you're looking at emerging markets. And that's what makes it really uncomfortable is that in ceteris paribus, if everybody was setting out to do good and to do the right thing, mm. absolutely. We wouldn't need regulation. Re- yeah, and he's arguing that some of this Correct. regulation applied in emerging markets yeah. might actually stimulate innovation. Correct. But okay. the reality is that's not everybody's agenda. Um, and it's just a matter Heck, of. Do we even know if it's not Facebook's agenda? That's the truth. And, 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 and I say this so carefully because. Yeah. We've we have all come, many of us who who, who trade in, in the media business have all yeah. come to rely quite heavily yeah. on the very good things that Facebook exists to do. Sure. So yeah. I mean this is not me trying to bash them on on, on principle, i.e. they shouldn't exist, and we're gonna discuss that a little later. But yeah. I mean uh I mean here's a list of little things that we could be worried about, i.e. them admitting to and apologizing for not protecting user information the way they should, clearly doing things they could have and should have done mm. pr- proactively. Mm. Um, the whole Cambridge Analytica thing, which we will not unpack at this point. Uh, I, I mean, I saw a Quartz uh, Africa piece that did say, you know, their role in, in African elections wasn't as big as advertising. Look, listen, yeah. if, are we seriously debating how involved you know, parties like Cambridge Analytica should be involved, should, 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 what, what sort of role people like that should have in elections. The fact is they were, and it was preventable and it's just wrong. And granted, um, I don't believe every sort of 
um, hyperbole about how deeply involved and how big the conspiracy went and all of that. Um, but the fact is, there are these big, powerful uh, companies that we are enabling to control, you know, very important aspects of of everyday life, not not just politically, and also just enable third parties we don't even know to do the same. There's a contrarian view, right, uh, especially around the Cambridge Analytics. So first I'll start with, I suppose, the the eternal struggle that Facebook will face in the pursuit of openness and in the pursuit of a, a ecosystem that allows people to connect in a way that is open. Um, you're always going to have the conflict between that and how you protect data, right? So I call it, a and as I said, naive mistake in that providing openness to the ecosystem of developers or people that are building apps, you're actually trying to improve people's lives. But that with it carries a risk which has only been developing over time. Remember seven years ago a lot of these discussions weren't even topical because you hadn't had, Facebook wasn't it didn't reach critical mass. Mm. So they kind of caught in the crossfire of being the first people to do a lot of things for the first time Mm -hmm. and this notion of openness comes with it this kind of you know, uh, a backlash, which I don't think they could ever actually have prepared for, um, to be honest. Now, their position when they realize that they've done something wrong to kind of try and fix it is what's interesting for me. Um, And I'll come back to the Cambridge Analytica thing because I I read a really interesting point of view that said Cambridge Analytica are not doing anything that advertising hasn't been trying to do for the last X amount of years. If you think about... I.e. manipulate public (laughs) sentiments. Correct, right? Dude, if you have the money, you can buy the data. (laughs) If I walk right now to the gas station and I have five rand on me, I can buy some gas. Same concept. I have the money, I can buy the data. So that's not, it's not really a third party's fault. It's more, correct. It's our fault as well. Yes. I think a while ago I started, I read through the privacy policy in Facebook. I was horrified. Yeah. Horrified. Horrified with the things you're okay with, apparently. Exactly. (laughs) Because I still still use (laughs) Because the value outweighs the things that you think are horrifying. (laughs) Exactly. Because you don't see the negative effects of it. You know that your data is being sold. You know it's being manipulated in such a way that you would never do it. Yeah. But the value of using Facebook and having connections to friends and all that stuff outweighs the negative consequences of it because I don't ever see the negative consequences. And are you an Android user? I- iPhone. iPhone. Okay. Yes. So we're all iPhone. Okay. So that's unfortunately, and, and that's not saying mm-hmm. anything. Did I just plug Apple? You did. You did. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know where that came from. Out of nowhere. No, shout out Apple. That is not that is not <laughs> a shout out to Apple. The question <laughs> is, who are we? Who are we? <laughs> are we Apple? No. So here's, here, why I ask is because, I mean, again. You uh, missed my joke. Huawei. Like you, oh, Huawei. <laughs> you didn't get it. I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get it. I didn't get it either. No. Okay. Now I'm packing what I didn't understand, which is <laughs> okay. quite pointless. Back to so back to, back to what we're talking about, which is the reason I was asking if any of you guys are, any of us are Android users, because again, media reports have emerged. Uh, Android users complaining that Facebook has been secretly logging their call data. Um, again, in the context of what you're doing, this sort of naive Correct. sense of we're here to do good. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, uh, we actually shouldn't be putting ourselves in the position where we can save people's calls mm. or, or, or sort of be in a position to do random things with people's unpublished pictures. Or, you know what I mean? I, I, I imagine it's, a, it's such a big ship at this point where granular conversations around really important sort of data privacy issues mm. um, like that can, can be missed. And I have, to, I have to say, you know, I have to feel for the people who have to mm. be responsible for this stuff. Yeah, man. Mm. Uh, n- number one, uh, you know, s- the word secretly is so dramatic because, you know, you've probably <laughs> signed the T's and C's, right? Yes. <laughs> but secondly, So you know <laughs> they've exactly. got your, your... No, but yeah. <laughs> it's only secret because you've just found out. But yeah. uh, then mm. the secondly, uh, once again... Sorry, that's right. I should, t- I should scratch that it secretly assumes that there was someone at facebook 
conspiring Correct. to yeah. to basically take your core data and use it for some reason that Correct. you didn't sign up for. Yeah, because mm. remember, one of the things about businesses like Facebook and like Google, they spend billions and billions and billions of dollars trying to invest in innovation. And the only way you can innovate and really create products that are going to solve even problems that you don't have right now or data. that you don't know you have is data, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's you know, and that's what's the I think the struggle is that by mining your voice calls, um, they might come up with a product that helps people that you can't see to be able to access Facebook. And ultimately, is that a bad thing? Does the end justify the means? You know, so the nuance yeah. of the conversation are really yeah. deep, right? Exactly. And I, I, and it's going to be tough to solve it, but yeah, yeah. But it's good to discuss it. I feel like we need more discussions like this where mm. you know no one is passionately trying. To to sort of nail Facebook to a cross yes. <laughs> on one hand. And on the other, like no one is sort of trying to PR them to no end about how amazing they are for trying to give the world blue internet because <laughs> thank God for Facebook yeah. if it wasn't, you know what I mean? So I feel like they've held those extremes and I feel like the discussion we're having is nuanced and and should be had more. And we encourage y'all yeah. to have that, especially policymakers. Mm. Like the next yes. time you're engaging a mobile telco yes. who's, who's seeking... Um, uh, sort of a regulatory approval for a partnership with Facebook around free basics. So I'm using that as an example, mm. frankly. Like th- these are some of the sort of value-based conversations you need to be having quite actively on a regular basis, yeah. mm. not just with Facebook, not just with mobile telcos, but mm. with a whole host of stakeholders who may or may not have a data play we'll all be talking about in another five years as being secretly, you know, you know, mining us all, you know, t- walking us all down a path we didn't want to be on. But it depends how the policymakers frame the way they draft these rules, right? Because the danger is in, we could even start, we'll talk about blockchain later, but yeah. the future of the way, I believe the future of the way we deal with data will be two things. One, I will own my data. You will own your data. You will own your data. Mm-hmm. And when someone wants to buy it, they'll pay you instead of centralized parties. And secondly, most of that data is going to be stored, stored on distributed databases, so not in a single data server. The reason I say that is because if the frameworks are built around how Europeans and North Americans built their data regulations, mm-hmm. which is a framework around centralized data servers that exist in one country at a certain time, that's going backwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The future of this stuff is that I'm going to own my stuff and it's going to be on distributed database, so it won't actually be anywhere. So sure. the danger is if African policymakers, Caribbean policymakers in my region mm. draft these things around these old regulations, we stuck in the same thing. Yeah. But you're um, suggesting a scenario that essentially disrupts all the most powerful corporate entities of our time. Yes. But they're going to do the same thing. <coughs> Disrupt is a strong word because they know this is coming. They, yeah. they have the money and resources to figure this out. So they, they'll probably be doing it first, realistically. Right. So let's discuss regulation because a perfect segue into something I, I think I watched on a news channel. Like, yeah, I think it was a, a pundit on television mm-hmm. talking about how, you know, Facebook's stock price has taken a di- dive in the short term, certainly mm-hmm. still, I think, struggling, last I checked, mm-hmm. um, to recover from all these hits, constant hits. Not least, like, one of the co-founders of WhatsApp going, hashtag delete Facebook. I mean... I, it's it's been from a PR perspective just a nightmare over at Facebook in the last you know month or so. Mm. But um, this this pundit was pointing to the the likelihood that the regulations we're going to start to see come online to to push back on the perceived indiscretions of Facebook mm. are in fact going to serve to to make them that much stronger and and create a massive barrier to entry to, to potential competitors that would make that would prevent, you know, a, a, a monopoly from forming if it hasn't already. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I wanted mm-hmm. your thoughts on that, you guys. I mean, 
Google, just like Facebook, has said, listen, whatever is exper- uh, expected in mm. in Europe, they've been fined for dozens of things. Um, they've recently been fined even in India for uh, quote unquote search bias and uh, abuse of their dominant position. Twenty one point seven, sorry, twenty one point one million dollars, which is really just a <laughs> drop in the ocean as far as Google's concerned. But mm. nonetheless, um, I do sense like a trend towards a lot more regulation coming online, a lot more uh, proactive policing. And I can't imagine that's a good thing for a startup ecosystem, particularly a nascent one like the one we we have here on the continent. No, because it's always behind. You'll have a company sprint, sprint, sorry, like Facebook, Google, way too innovative. Mm. Policymakers can't keep up. When they realize they need to keep up, they legislate stuff they should have done 10 years ago. And then when they do that, 10 years later, they realize, well, maybe we should have drafted it differently because we affected our local ecosystem yeah. it's just never able to keep up so yeah. it's exactly yeah. what's going to happen man they, they're going to panic draft things that don't make any sense spend like three years passing them through parliaments around the world next thing you know startups will not be able to keep up because they just won't be able to keep up with the regulations the compliance the, the things that you don't need to worry about want to worry about when you're building a startup from mm-hmm. scratch and ironically campaigns like the hashtag delete facebook campaigns <laughs> are definitely the sort of signals that um, policymakers look to good to yeah. go. This is what the people want. Mm. The accelerator um, process. So maybe, you know, as a final part on this Facebook mm. section, mm-hmm. I mean, it's <laughs> seriously like sponsored this, this area. Um, no, they have not. Um, yeah. I mean, Musa, you and I had an offline conversation mm. about, you know, your concerns around, you know, some of the less uh, informed thinking mm. around the, the hashtag delete Facebook campaign. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's always important to have an, a, a component of active citizenry because it, it it keeps the collective conscious kind of woke around, you know, the notion that it is possible to delete Facebook, right? That mm. That needs to be important as something that people need to understand. The reality of whether it is going to be adopted wholesale and actually be implemented, I don't think is is is, is quite the same thing. No. Um, I do appreciate that there's probably been some people that have deleted their Facebook accounts, and from what I understand, they probably at this point in time, because of this this uh, this uh, Cambridge issue, um, that they probably got their highest rate of people deleting Facebooks now, mm-hmm. uh, Facebook. But does that mean that they're going to be seeing you know a 50 60% drop in news on facebook i doubt it because of the argument around utility number 1 number mm-hmm. 2 facebook has done such a good job at integrating into third party apps that are not even mm-hmm. facebook mm-hmm. that verify identity that make your life easier that mm-hmm. would require you to start things all over all over again um and and i don't think that cost has been accounted for in a campaign like delete facebook it's yeah. a, it's kind of very um very surface level and as i said from yes. a from an activism perspective I think it's right. It should be there. But it needs to be tempered with the reality. If we were all to delete Facebook tomorrow, um, understand what you are losing and that human cost as well as the integration of the network of things that function as a result of being on Facebook. Um, And I think that's an important view for people to have. They're an infrastructure, dude. You can't delete an infrastructure. Like all of our apps rely on that. That's Mm. that's how they built a successful company. They'll come in the middle person for everything that you do on the internet. I'm embarrassed to say that I, I, I went into my Facebook and, and they made it a lot easier for you to sort of unplug all sorts of apps that you didn't even realize you'd sort of, yes. mm. <laughs> it was still linked to your Facebook account and, yeah. and you, you know, to make it easier to log in and things like that. And I went in there and, and I found dozens of things. And you're um, like, what? 
And mo- and a lot of them I couldn't even remember stuff I trialed, you know, companies I don't even know. All kind apps of weird I, games. Yeah, apps I downloaded. No, I'm not into the weird games. I can't stand those, by the way. That's yeah. how they if profile you, though. Your profile sends me one of those things, those notices, like you've just won. I remember that era, man. Jewel, <laughs> no, if your thing does that, I'm sorry. You're, crush. you're gone. You're gone. You're no longer on Facebook to me. You're dead to me on Facebook. But I want to take what you said even yeah. further the lead Facebook movement. Like, I. Take it even further, right? Like yeah. think about you guys in digital media. Mm-hmm. You know much more about it than I do. But I imagine that data is very easy to manipulate. And the things that you push to the top are also very easy to manipulate. Sure. When regulation is going to be drafted around this stuff, who do you think is going to be in the room when they're drafting a regulation? Mm. Facebook. Yeah, They are going to be in the room. They have the most vested interests. And yep. I've been lucky to draft policy of different governments. And the first thing they do is go speak to the, gov- the companies that have a vested mm, interest in this yeah, space. Yeah. So as a company, as Facebook or whoever... I have an interest in people talking about this as much as possible because mm. it accelerates, just like you said, yeah. this trend towards some superficial um, solution to something that's, that's just going to continue as a problem. Yeah. And also, all I did was start logging into places using my, my Google mm-hmm. profile. No, which is no. so much better, right? Because, yeah. you know, we all know. <laughs> so we all delete, know how Google. Yeah. <laughs> really oh, so yes. Your oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm safer now. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> which is ridiculous. I just think, yeah, we do need a, a fair dose of pragmatism, but just the wokeness, like you say. Mm. Like, again, yeah. um, we said on the show before that this is probably about um, at a citizen level, all of us taking far more responsibility for our personal data, yes. uh, becoming more conscious of how and when we part with it, uh, what, what, what you know, what it's worth to, mm. to entities, because I think that's the other piece where this is what I can't stand. So this is what we were talking about mm. about this delete Facebook thing. This is what I can't stand though. Mm. When I'm hugely against free basics because it totally, totally, totally refuses to account for um, the commercial interest. Mm of essentially turning into the de facto internet mm. for the developing world, or frankly, anyway. Mm. And and to me, you know, I'm offended, frankly, when, you know, a Zuckerberg or anyone, frankly, comes through the con- to, to the continent or anywhere, just stands there and goes, if it wasn't for this, little girls wouldn't wouldn't have the internet and wouldn't get an mm-hmm. education. I hear, I hear that. That's partly true. And it's definitely part of, you know, the story, certainly. But it's not the full story. And can we please, can, can you at least balance your PR with genuinely talking us through as affected stakeholders what it would mean? Being honest. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what bugs me mm-hmm. about it. So that doesn't put me on team delete Facebook. It puts me on team Facebook, be, be honest and be straight up with us and, and treat us like the woke folks we are. Mm-hmm. But moving on and uh, thanking Facebook for the, uh, no, no, not mm-hmm. at all. Um, <laughs> it is, it is, uh, you know, why, why, sorry? Anything but. <laughs> Anything but. I don't, <laughs> sure they would not sponsor that segment. No. Um, while Facebook is up to all sorts of, well, sort of, you know, total <laughs> world domination business, um, a new web foundation report entitled Universal Service and Access Funds an untapped resource to close the gender digital divide. Well, that report has revealed that South Africa is sitting on something like $10 million worth of unspent universal service and access funds, presumably the kind of funds that should be going to, uh, is it, what is it, Molo? Molo. Molo Mshaba. Molo Mshaba. Yes. To to initiatives like Molo Mshaba and others. Frankly, um, why am I raising this? Because again, um, I have to raise the policy issues that we can rant at Facebook, we can rant at all these for-profit businesses. And and we can try and hold their feet to the fire and we can do all we like. Um, if we fail on on policy, on creating good policy, on insisting on good policy from our policymakers, if we fail on implementing it, if we certainly fail on deploying resources when they're, they're available, 
Uh, I mean, mm. what what do we expect Facebook to to stop sort of their world famous level of sort of resource deployment and execution? Come on, we can't expect that. Mm-mm. We need to keep up and we need to do better. South Africa, you need to do better. Mm. And we're calling you out because this report sort of highlights you and as a sort of uh, regional leader, economically and otherwise, mm. we're singling you out as a country to to have to do better around this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have any thoughts on that. But I want to talk about Brian uh, Acton. You want to talk about <laughs> Brian Acton? Uh, Brian Acton. Oh, so you want to so reel back to the to the WhatsApp co-founder? Yeah, yeah. Crazy, to Brian right? Acton, uh, WhatsApp co-founder. WhatsApp famously acquired by Facebook. Yeah. Yes. Uh, dang, bro. You know, I think it's funny because, like, this this week, I think for the first time, anyway, I heard uh, Zuckerberg referring to the the Facebook group of companies. He's never really referred to them as the Facebook group of companies. Hmm. Um, so oh, is he distancing himself? So that, he's that, just, that, yeah, he's that's Facebook. It. That's WhatsApp. Like that's, that's <laughs> we, we have we have doozies <laughs> in our midst. I think that's when you realize you can't possibly exit your company. You're just stuck with it. So you yeah, have to yeah. keep going with yeah. with all the criticism. Absolutely. Yeah. But how's that tweet? Eh? Crazy. Oh my word. So okay. So he's a WhatsApp co-founder. WhatsApp. Uh, you know, bought for like this ridiculous sum. I don't recall by Facebook. And then you head to Twitter mm. <laughs> to, to release a bomb on um, hashtag delete a Facebook. All, time. Of, all of that is planned out, man. All of that is planned out. That's absolutely intentional. You think so? Absolutely. I mean, if you had a problem with your business, for example, this is our conspiracy theory music. I don't believe in conspiracy theories. I think there's always credibility to different ways of seeing things. So when you tell me that a company that has been acquired by a bigger company and I tweet to, to, to damage that company's reputation, I have no vested interest in doing that unless I actually have a vested interest in doing it. So if you had a problem with your company and there was an interest in me saying something on Twitter, Andili, you would just call me and I'd say, cool, I'll do it. And these of course, people, this, these are people, they and do this, that. And this comes after WhatsApp being cleared, I think in Europe. No, I didn't look this up, but I think in Europe recently for because they were being investigated uh, for like having uh, unlawful for the unlawful sharing of information between WhatsApp and Facebook, mm. and then it turned out, mm. well, no, you guys are all clear. WhatsApp, you guys are the integrous mm. little startup of people that just happen to be bought by Facebook. Yes. Thank you. Off you go. And then a few weeks later, it is time. Delete. Delete Facebook. Hashtag. Delete. Yeah. <laughs> of delete Facebook. Well, sorry, I don't know what's up with my voice today. Uh, a frog in my throat, but um, staying with big tech, Taxify mm. and Uber have launched uh, motorcycle passenger services in East Africa. Bora Bora. Um, t- uh, yeah, Bora Bora's as they're called, uh, motors, it, motors or Bora Bora's in East Africa, and mm. I think they're called Okada's in, in West Africa. Uh, Taxify is calling their service Bora and Uber, get this, super original, Uber Bora. No. Um, <laughs> what? So, How much do you think they spent on marketing? Oh, my <laughs> word, bro. Brilliant. I mean, the person who what? came up with that, though. Um, so, <laughs> That's super boring. So, yeah, no, no. So, it's okay. Mm. We get you, Uber. We feel you. We see you, fam. Uh, so, now, uh, both Taxify and Uber have launched in Uganda, and Taxify has also launched their service in Kenya. Now, they follow in the footsteps of the likes of, you know, Rwanda's Safe Motors, the Singapore-based Yego Motor, which operates in Rwanda, super tight with the Rwandese government over there. Mm. Um, Safe border. Yeah. Sorry? Safe border. Mm. Safe border in, 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 in Uganda. Yes. And so, Yego, so, so these guys have sort of told us how well they're doing. They've come mm. up with the likes of Yego Motor, for example, have said, you know, they've signed up 680 drivers. The last I checked, you know, logged like nearly half a million trips. 2.1 million kilometers, who cares? But I suppose those sort of signals, too much to resist for for Uber and Taxify. And also, you know, my sense is that 
they're sensing that it's a space they need to get in on because a lot of the governments uh, that you know that still permit borders to 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 operate mm-hmm. i.e you know north of us um are looking to regulate that space because so many accidents caused by yes. that um lots of undocumented crime um that results lots of unlicensed driving yeah. um and there's this huge sort of economic potential that's untapped not being taxed properly in many respects it mirrors our minibus taxi business here yeah. in south africa in yeah. terms of like yeah if we regulated this, like we'd get a lot done, you know, uh, security, all sorts of things, ticks, you know, being uh, boxes could be ticked. And I sense that Uber and Taxify onto that and going, hmm, when those discussions are being had at a sovereign sort of level mm-hmm. with, with policymakers, lawmakers, mm-hmm. we need to be in the room as. Uh, Absolutely. So I don't know if I'm right about that, but I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I, look, I th- I think it's an interesting play because ultimately what I'm, what I'm picking up as a, as a trend Um is the e-hailing service as the front end is actually not the play. And we, we had a discussion about this a while yeah. back that the business model is probably very similarly like uh, Facebook is, is in the back end of the data, yeah. right? And yes. uh, that would make a lot of sense um, around trying to build a model that sustains them in the future. But the problem is that when you're moving an informal uh, structured economy into the more formal structure. The only way you can do that is through technology. The only way you can scale it. I mean, taxis and uh, uh, an hailing on our continent. I don't see how else you'll scale aside from being able to take that data and do something interesting with it to continue yeah. to sell people and stuff. So yeah. mm-hmm. I think that's the play. Um, but I also think it's exciting. I mean, I, I think it's the space is getting a little bit crowded as well. Mm. Um, e-hailing, you know, really? You think? <laughs> yeah. a, a little bit. We crowded. need more, right? We need so many more. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much more innovation to happen in e-hailing. And it's Africa, apparently we ride of Israel coming to South Africa. Dude, like where have you guys been? Yes. Why so long? Yes, not, yeah. not, not. And I think the under <laughs> the underinvestment in other forms. So I mean, like tra- train. Tra- I don't see much innovation happening with trains as yeah. an example, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Which is also a little bit of a interesting a, a, a damn squib. I think yes, you're solving for pedestrian transport is probably cheaper. The unit economics makes sense. Blah blah blah. But surely there's an interesting play when you look at other transportation modes like rail, etc. Et Uber so, train, bro. Yeah, you know Uber that kind of rail. Uber rail. We just mean it exactly. Those Uber yeah. helicopters at some stage. Does that yes. still exist? Yeah. I, I don't they're know still if they're still working. Are they still working? I've on heard. That? I've heard. Okay. I've seen news stories about yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so I, think not, I mean, they're crashing self-driving cars. Please bring that. Like, <laughs> can we bring that into? Can you bring it over to Africa at version five? Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> we have enough road jets <laughs> as we speak. Like, we do not need you testing helicopters. Uh, yeah. You know, especially if they're self-driving. Yeah, yeah. But for for right the big now. tech, so there's these Uber Bora. Mm. in East. It, it, it makes me uncomfortable to think about what these companies are going to accomplish because think about, forget the big tech, forget the data, think about the drivers themselves. Mm. Like, there's a lot of training. Like, when I was in Kampala for a while, Safe Boda, like, they did so much training with the local auto drivers. Mm. Safe Boda is founded by XBAC founders. It's a different thing. Um, <laughs> okay. But they were on the ground. They were there. Whereas, like, it's hard for me to believe that Uber Boda and Taxify will have people on the ground in the same way. Meaning that the interaction with the drivers will probably be very, very minimal. Correct. Yeah. So that's problematic because then the impact on them could be significant. Like it maybe is easier for you to build a driver to open up an app and have a short stream of customers in a day. Mm. But what does that mean for your training? What does that mean for like the helmet that you have to purchase now all of mm. a sudden? Because you didn't have to do that before. Mm. What does that mean for the gas levels where you can drive at a certain time? Mm. That means that there's more competition between me and you and other people because yeah. these crowded e-hailing services are going to drive prices down. Yeah. My friend, no longer my friend. Mm. There's so many horrible things that could happen from that because it's international companies crowded into one space. Absolutely. I, I think the reason uh, Rwanda has sort of taken well to the likes of Yego Moto, who, by the way, I know we, the mm. last time we, I was on the mic, I promised that we'd 
release a, a conversation I had with the CEO of the, the founder and CEO of, of Yego Motor. I, we haven't done so yet. We've just had too much content to put out, mm-hmm. um, but we will get to it. Lots of good things he shared with me, but I, I sense you'll sense when you listen to him that um, he gets that he gets mm-hmm. what you just said, the importance mm-hmm. of being on the ground, actually caring about outcomes beyond sort of acquiring new drivers or growing uh, yeah. riders at a certain pace and, yeah. Um, and he's made it very clear to the government that they care as much as they, well, he's at least tried to position themselves as a company that cares about those sort of other outcomes mm. in, in ensuring that these drivers are economically empowered as part of, you know, why they exist and, mm. and so on and so forth. Of course, they also, to your point, Musa, mm. definitely a platform play that has probably aspirationally very little to do with the mobility industry per se. Yeah. But um, I can totally understand why Ronda would embrace that and and sort of just ban everyone else like Uber and, yeah. and everyone else. And Taxify, as it happens, claims that they'll be hiring Boda Boda taxi dr- riders who are licensed in Kenya, at least uh, with the Kenya's National Transport and Safety Authority. So you can see that engagement is, is being had. At least this, you can tell that they see the necessity. Mm. Um, they see that this isn't something they could have moved in on sort True. of gung ho without you know without asking. They should um, be limiting these companies though. They should be limiting their entrance yeah. significantly because what does that do? So you dig you dig what um, Ronda's pulling? Absolutely, going man. our Absolutely. people and that's it. We had the same issue in back home. I have a friend who's running a e hailing service in Barbados and is mm. in as innovative as e-hailing can be mm. in different jurisdictions. It mm. depends on the country. If there's no e-hailing service, then it's an innovative product. True. So my friend in Barbados, he had a company, still has a company and they're running it. And Uber at some point was thinking of coming in and the government from Barbados flew over to San Francisco to meet with Uber. And you see that and you're just like, but why? That's nuts. Mm. That makes no sense. That's so cool. limit their entry, have the startup, fund them if you want to do anything. Sure. But there's such a... That's like politics, government. You you have an interest in having an international company come to you. That's interesting because I'm not sure who owns the the first uh, mover, the the first uh, sort of motor company, uh, motor e-hailing service that came to, to to that launched in Rwanda. That one's homegrown. Mm. Yego Moto, of course, being a Singapore-based company, mm. definitely sense that the, the government definitely preferring or embracing them to a larger degree. I don't know if there's anything to read into that or not. Mm. But um, and also, I don't know whether or not. The, the local version is expat run or local run yes, or yes. local founded or whatever. But yeah, very interesting. Um, your safe motors. I'm not sure who founded them. If you know, give us a shout. Um, sure. But, you know, I thought it was quite interesting that Taxify definitely deciding to, to go the route, at least on some level, acknowledging the need to bring policymakers on board in terms of what they're doing. But can I just pause to address something? We've been pretty hard on Uber on the show in the past, always for good reason. But let me tell you why I have difficulty in believing that Taxify, you know, be- believing Taxify on this whole safety thing will only sort of work with riders who who have like three years worth of experience, et cetera. And not riders, um, um, motor or border border drivers who, who, who have more than three years experience. Why don't I believe that? Because I myself and uh, and anyone I love um, who 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 I have influence over does not use Taxify after dark. It's just, mm. that's because their vetting in South Africa is just shocking. And this is not mm. something I'm saying after speaking to one, two or three or four um, Taxify drivers. I'm speaking to Taxify drivers themselves who don't put themselves up for work at certain times of the day, go to certain places, which is true, of course, for, mm. for, for they, they literally tell you, I have no idea. I, I couldn't, vi- I couldn't vouch for fellow Taxify drivers. I could not, vouch for the quality of the people I pick up. Mm. And I certainly understand people who worry about whether or not I'm going to cause them harm. 
because I can tell you now, mm. our system doesn't work. You could complain. You could be raped on my trip. It'll be months before you hear from anybody. Mm. But we haven't had a meeting at least a year. This, you know, I'm, I've been told more than at least three or four times. Mm. Um, and then you'll tell me, well, you know, we're, we're going to keep our clients safe. There's a spokesperson from Texify saying, we ensure quality is on point and our clients are safe on border borders. <laughs> on Bora Boras, yeah. Okay. And if anybody's okay. ever That's taken a Bora Bora, hello. Yeah, so it's not a thing. So, Uber, you don't get it often on the show. Yeah. But in that respect, I certainly sense and feel and have observed. And through, you know, you know, through, you know, countless, uh, countless conversations I've had with your drivers, yeah. I do sense that they, Uber, you know, in this particular case, I can, I, I'm like, okay, I might, I might trust that you mean it when you say your drivers will be better on average than a, a motor that's not affiliated yes but taxify i'm sorry not so convinced cool <laughs> so moving on yep how about this y'all mm-hmm. according to reuters the german startup investor rocket internet is exploring a stock market listing um of the last making african online shopping platform which builds itself africa's leading online shopping destination da 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 jumia hmm. Apparently, Rocket Internet, uh, which, of course, helped to set up uh, Jumia in 2012, they're looking to exit, folks. Um, they've, I guess, had it. But no, they're going They're going with, um, uh, it, it's in line with our strategy of selling and yeah. listing established <coughs> internet Hospital firms. <coughs> What's that? Hospital pass. <coughs> Hospital pass. I'm sick, ma'am. I'm sick. Yeah. I'm not well, ma'am. Mm, yeah. Can I go to the toilet? Oh, yes. <laughs> Here's a diaper. <laughs> Sit there. Sit there and take it, young man. It's a math test today. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, it's reported that a listing of shares, um, you know, in the region, uh, you know, of volumize at least, uh, of under 245.7 million. Uh, apparently, that could take place later this year, perhaps early 2019, in either Frankfurt or London. Or London. I'm, I'm sensing London's probably going to be the more sensible mm. joint. But then again, you know, Rocket Internet being German, perhaps Frankfurt yeah. might make sense. Um, so, guys, who is buying Jumia stocks? Um, especially given word is Jumia is nowhere near posting a profit, despite so far raising something like 767.7 million. Odd in investment since twenty twelve. Seriously, and and the the listing you said was two hundred and something odd. Two hundred and forty. That makes no sense. Yeah, that's well, why it's a hospital pass. Well, I are mean, you hospitaling? Pa- so you're not going to buy the stock? No, I won't. You re- no, I I wouldn't need it. I mean, on the face, I don't know much about Jumia's business, but yeah. you raise almost a billion dollars, and you evaluation when you list exit is. 200 like, like 200 something yeah. odd. okay so here's this is where i'm going to like play Burning this is cash. Where, no this is where i'm going to push back a little because i feel mm-hmm. like there's something to buying buying into this as a future play mm-hmm. and i'll reference a conversation i had with a junior co-founder and former managing director tunde kehinde a while ago and i asked him to comment at the time um uh, on you know the hyper bullish, quote unquote, African e-commerce will explode. That narrative, you know, that sure. sort of dominated, mm. uh, you know, the, the blogosphere and certainly, you know, mainstream media perhaps three or four years ago. And he was certainly a part of it at the time. Mm. And so I, I challenged him on that, uh, given how key markets such as Nigeria, South Africa and Kenya haven't delivered to expectation as far as e-commerce is concerned. Now, he admitted that his thinking around the short to medium term growth potential of e-commerce had evolved over the years, which is, I think, code for basically I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and and I mean, but he's continued to make bets within the space in, in different shapes and forms since then. So 
he continues to be a believer, just a perhaps more informed one, I think. Mm. And he, you know, went as far as saying, and of course this was expected, that he considers Jumia's journey from zero to pushing close to half a billion dollars in gross merchandise value and employing thousands of employees across the continent. He considers that a win. All of that in, in six years, he feels, come on, guys, like we're winning. Sure. Granted, we're not profitable. Granted, we're nowhere near making a decent return on the near billion dollars we've, mm. we've had invested. Mm. But I think we've all been oversimplifying what it'll take to build a successful e-commerce entity anywhere on the continent, never mind in Nigeria. And anyone who wants to be involved needs to know now that one, this is a long-term play mm. and we are, yeah, like we are going to need your money. Well, yeah, and then, lots of it. Then they should have spun it differently. They should have spun it as a, almost for lack of a better word, R&D cost for figuring out the market as opposed to saying it's a great business that we have. Because from a numbers perspective, you can't tell me that that's a great business. Going from you know, half a billion, that's, that's, that doesn't make <laughs> yeah. sense. Maybe yeah. they just but waited too angle. long to exit. Yeah, that's yeah. probably part of it too. Because yeah. if you raise, I don't know when the last time they were raised, but if they were raising that much money, at some point, evaluation must have been higher. Mm. Um, so they probably just waited too long. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's at, I mean, this obviously in the wake of Naspers offloading Conga. Mm. Um, yeah, that was, that was a big deal too. Also really just struggling to, to, to stay alive, but notably uh, being picked up by a local Nigerian business, which um, I, I should give them a shout out really for throwing them a lifeline. Um, no, we I actually, re- we can't give them a shout out. Actually, we can't. Yeah. We, we, Facebook won't be happy. We, we want to talk to this man over here. So yeah. let's move on. <laughs> Facebook won't be happy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's move on swiftly to some other big e-commerce news. Um, Nasper has got tongues wagging by selling off a lucrative piece of their investment in one of China's most valuable online companies, Tencent. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes their interest in that company down to 31.2%. So <laughs> I think this is just notable, not because the news caused like a furore in the markets, um, but... It got me thinking, like, what kind of moves they might be plotting, given how they offloaded Conga, mm. and yet they're coming to market with. We basically wanted to create some some cash flow to allow us to invest in e-commerce business, presumably not on the continent, because you rumors are you you want to release sort of OLX Kenya and Nigeria, and you're obviously not interested in Conga anymore. They just completed uh, the twenty two point seven five. Uh, percent stake uh, acquisition in the food delivery service uh, delivery hero in Germany. So clearly you have plans for e-commerce, but they might not be on the continent, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Potentially. Potentially. Mm. Um, to Kenya now, where according to Quartz Africa, the much publicized Kenyan paper use solar power provider, or rather fintech business, uh, Mkopa, well, they're reportedly downsizing in a bid to improve competitiveness and, quote, ensure long-term sustainability and increase return for investors. Now, hmm. Mkopa has notably been criticized for, you know, outsourcing some of its operations to a British company called Aplicita. And, of course, its founding team is is essentially expats. And while they go by Nairobi-based and, and give people the sense of a for-us-by-us situation, Mkopa and the likes of, say, Bitpesa, Mm. are increasingly being called out for being part of, you know, the sort of exclusive East African expat startup success club, I guess you could call it. Mm. And yeah, it's becoming apparent that a lot of people are just content to effectively build and operate offshore businesses that essentially monetize on the continent. Mm. Um, so I don't know how you guys feel about that. When you say a success club, <laughs> what are we talking about? How many local founders do you know who 
raise money quite easily. I was not none. I was shocked. So they succeeded raising money. They succeeded yeah. raising money. How many people do you know who, mm. to their credit, have done what they've done, i.e., you know, grow a startup from from the ground up, sure. hire a thousand staff. Granted, they let go of they've let go of one hundred and fifty, and even in the face of like seeing competition like Off Grid Electric, Azuri Technologies, mm. Mobisol, all of these guys come to the party, still manage to get investors on board with their sort of roadmap and 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 trust in them to execute going forward. I'd call that success. Yeah, no, and sure. I'm not saying it's success we can't mirror as locals, but yeah, I meant, I meant yeah. more the club. Oh, the club. We're talking about the club. Success, <laughs> sure, I get that. But yeah. the club, like, in, is, have you, what is that like? So I was in Uganda, but like, is it actually like a club when all these founders must know each other? I mean, let's talk about the founders of this particular business. They met at Oxford. They're all sort of, sure. in, at, you yeah. know, they're all Oxford MBAs. Mm. Um, yeah, all of them, to my knowledge. Most of them mm. yeah, met in MBA class. And and yes, you're the, the expats in this, in our ecosystem yeah. who have, commercial success of any kind where they have managed to, to to infuse investors in in their startups but do they typically know each other but do they integrate with the local ecosystem is a better question i mean i'll point mm. to twigger for example which i mean i don't know much about them but i certainly sense that perhaps also just because of the nature of the business they have i.e buying and selling bananas initially and now like you mm. know fresh produce and stuff like that i think you'd be hard pressed to sort of you know monetize that uh, monetize that uh what's the word um sustainably yeah sustainably but also profitably and and have like genuine prospects of scaling that without plugging in in genuine ways into mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. and i say this not knowing much about their business sure but i guess i'm raising these guys because um, I myself took exception at some point in their history uh, when they used to front or they used to sort of push the whole sort of altruistic we're here to light up Africa thing. Yes. And and we're like, you're a fintech, dude. Mm. Like you're a fintech business and you are, you know, you're, you're a micro lender and you're not good for everybody because there's some people who frankly can afford your stuff but shouldn't be because they don't have the financial literacy to understand what it is you're doing. And and for me, it was it was a pushback on that level mm. as to whether or not they like they mean the business. They do. I think over how many six hundred thousand households they they they've managed to light up. I mean, that's no that's no small feat. In no, the I success mean, is grid homes. As yeah, well. the yeah. success mm. is not the thing. It's it's more the demographic, right? Mm. So from the perspective of living in Canada, I went to an event recently. Impact investing. We'll get to that because mm-hmm. um, I also have my my issues with it. But at this <laughs> event, it was about impact investing and. All of the founders that had businesses in East, South, North, West Africa mm-hmm. were all Canadian. That was shocking to me. You're talking about impact investing primarily on the African continent. There's not one African that was there. And definitely not one black African that was there. Because most of the investments from the people at this event were not into African-based local businesses. Yeah, it's funny because the categorization and the, you know, sometimes the, the, the language we use is interesting. So impact, it's like, it's like digital marketing. You know, I, I have a problem with that term because marketing is now in the digital context. So yes. impact investing in, in emerging market is just investing, really, because yes. if you really, because you have to solve the problems at the core. Um, and so for someone that's coming from the outside 
putting money in that you know categorizing it as impact saying mm-hmm. at the core of what you do we're still trying to change lives mm-hmm. i think being in it and trying to build businesses you have to break that into what you do anyway so yes. it's, you know i find it always interesting because that viewpoint is often informed by um, as i said this notion that people are bringing money into a place mm-hmm. and even impact well we'll get to that um, yeah. impact investing as a as another crutch or just another extension of aid starts to bring mm-hmm. that kind of in in my mind that kind of uh, negative connotation with it maybe mm-hmm. let's do it now let's talk yeah. about how the fact is Mkopa was is the beneficiary of grant funding yes at least look the vast major, i think the vast majority of the money they've they've raised has been sort of proper vc money mm-hmm. but there was a good chunk of it that was impact based and on the basis of their sort of social story it's an impact business it's right? an imp- well that's I what mean, they went to market arguably, with but yeah. no it's not i've it's had i mean i've spoken to one of the co-founders who point blank told me they're building a fintech company yeah and 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 for me there's the, i don't have a problem with that it's just can we call it what it is yeah. hmm. and 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 sort of you know deal on that basis let's deal on the basis of you guys are in fact part of an area that i'm increasingly worried about because yes. i'm aware of academics doing research into the negative impact potential negative impact all this access to microfinance is having on poor africans yeah. um digital loan platforms are coming on board and sure you're bringing a light into their little house but I mean, if you're also dragging them into a, a, a dead cycle that they'll never escape mm. and like actually sort of invasively data scraping that, you know, scraping them clean of data. Yes. Like I'm not OK with that. Right. And mm. granted, I can be I could look at branch and go, OK, you guys got 70 million off the back of over a million people downloading your app and you, you know, be and accessing, you know, loans of like two dollars. And how revolutionary is that? And yes, it's business people. That's the new thing where it's like, no, no, no. These are loans going to business people. Mm. Yeah, because if, if we go consumer, then it's a bit dodge because <laughs> we all know a lot of people are taking these loans out to put place bets on online, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. other things that are really damaging our, our communities and our long-term, yeah. you know, viability as, as economies. Yeah. So for me, that's why it's disingenuous mm-hmm. to sort of front with this whole impact thing. Oh, a kid can finally do his homework at home. Well, that's because you just sold his dad something you couldn't afford and it will be in a debt cycle that ensures that kid doesn't go to varsity. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you it's get what a, I mean? To me, that's a data issue because you have the data that shows that you've provided X amount of people access to sunlight or light, electricity, yeah. power, current. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you also have the data that shows how many people have not paid their loans on time, mm. but you only release one set of those data points. Absolutely. Intentionally, because you have to keep up a front of doing it. So an impact investment space, one of the big issues I see is that people show the positive things they do, but they never quant- they can quantify the negative aspects that their companies are having mm. because all of us have negative implications of our companies, whether we intended to or not. Mm. And impact space, like you can get away with fronting that you achieve in a thing and people don't look behind it. So what is an impact business? What is impact I mean? business, like you said very well, yeah. in, in the Caribbean, for example, in our region, if you start in a business, to me, you are achieving <laughs> an impact. That's it. But it is... Like, well done, bro. <laughs> yeah, for not sure. Just you're doing your thing. Yeah. Yeah. If you're creating a job, if you're providing current to people, that kind of things, you are an impact business. Because of our low base in general in emerging markets. Right? We don't really have a choice, right? Yeah. So all of these entrepreneurs, to me, are social entrepreneurs. Yeah. They have to be because we grew up in situations where you have to find a solution to a social problem. Yeah. Yes, there's a huge market in spent impact investing that I think a lot of entrepreneurs should use because whether we like it or not, there's a lot of money in impact investing. Mm. And if you say you're an impact business, which is why MCO could so be successful. So that's the pragmatism in you kicking there's in There's a going. pragmatism in saying, I'm an impact business. These are the impact metrics I meet. Therefore, I deserve funding. Essentially me, foreign aid, guys. So there's, yes. foreign, aid at, there's yes. foreign aid at our disposal. That will end up in the wrong hands. 
Yes. You may as well go and fetch it. You might as well get it. And it's different. <laughs> it's foreign aid, but Dang, it's different man. because it creates, it can create independence. This is really where we are. Wow. Yeah. And so that's I think that part of the reason why Mkopa is getting all this flack about, oh, you're letting people, that's what businesses do when they don't do well, or they, they, they face pressure from investors, or they need to actually become profitable or profitable enough to, to satisfy investors. This is part of the game. But no, no, yes. no, you went with the story yeah. that mm-hmm. you were here to shine your little light in Africa. Are there ways to define or standardize the impact metrics, right? Because at yeah. least if we can get a level of... So if we're all lifting the bar at, to a certain level, then I can understand long-term sustainable impact. But if we're all, if impact for me is measured on metric X and for you metric Y, yep. I wonder whether there's, you know, is there a way to standardize when That's you say the big problem in the space? I'm raising money, and yes, yes I want to collect the, the 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 aid, and you know, so can you give me a sense of you're kind of solving for that, right, That's, with your business? Yeah. So, like you mentioned, we try and our goal is to build a stock market for social entrepreneurs. But as we started to conceptualize that, mm. there's a huge value chain that is missing, which is the measurement of the impact. So there's different standardized impact metrics around the world. And I mm. use the standardized term intentionally yeah. because I think they are very problematic, yeah. but they're also very useful. One of the biggest ones is the UN SDGs. Mm-hmm. Problematic, but also very useful. What is the UN SDG? Sorry. United Nations Sustainable Development. Oh, the yeah. okay, So cool, 17 yeah. different goals Got in that. different baskets and yeah. they're very aspirational. Yeah. But there's others. So there's there's tons of, think of them as data sets yes. of impact. One is the UN SDGs. One is IRIS metrics. Yeah. IRIS is the second one. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that stands for, mm-hmm. but it's just IRIS. Let's make something up. Yeah, so yeah, IRIS. International IRIS Risky Investments. Statistics. That's what I like that. In the, yeah, um, in the real, I was thinking in the real statistics <laughs> of IRIS. Yes, but the problem in the space now is that most of the money in impact investing space yeah. sits in funds. It's not really a retail investing market yet. Okay. Those funds, they have metrics and they have investors that they have and they have to report certain impact metrics over a certain period of time. Yeah. Problem is those metrics are typically created by the funds, mm-hmm. not necessarily entrepreneurs. So what happens is almost like an imposition of metrics that are not your own. Oh, I see. They're customized. They like sporadic between different funds. And that's good because then you can localize impact to different communities, whatever it is. But it's bad because then like you have a bunch of different people doing different data what sets. And like what's the point? Yeah. It makes no sense. So we realized that really early on. So now what we're doing is trying to measure impact through devices. That's what we focus in on. So MCOPA is an example. Their data points would show how many people they provide access to energy to and a bunch of different data points around that, as well as how many people pay or don't pay loans. With those two data sets, you could create a bunch of impact metrics around energy production or non-production or access to energy. Yeah. And two, you could create a lot of impact metrics around financial and economic inclusion. What happens now is that MCOPA takes all these data sets and Excel sheets and they literally send them to the investors. That's typically what happens. Okay. And that's problematic because then like that creates a disincentive for me to actually measure the impact. Correct. So impact investing is suffering now, man, because can't measure the impact. So people are funding things. It becomes foreign aid in a lot of ways because they're just yeah. giving you money. And That's why, I mean, yeah. with Bill Gates being in the continent recently, I mean, he, he was here for a wedding apparently or something like that, but then took the opportunity to sort of um, lecture Nigerian lawmakers, policymakers, business people for the state of education and health, etc. Sure. Um, but yeah, um, essentially, he feels entitled because is it seventy six? I think it's about seventy six million dollars worth of debt he's absorbing. Um, Nigeria owed the Japanese government for uh, monies they borrowed to try and battle polio, and he's like, "Well, okay, I'll clear that debt." Presumably. I mean, through his the Bill and Melinda Foundation, of course. Sure. And yeah, presumably, again, sitting here, 
I feel like, you know, the the environmental damage being caused by the oil situation in Nigeria is probably, from an impact standpoint, probably yeah. one of the worst things going on over there. Ooh, can, can I plug but, in right there? But yeah, so but, then, but my, my thing is, I, to your point, am yes. I right in saying that there's a reason why attacking the polio thing, aside from the fact that the Melinda Gates Foundation, I think, likes to focus on health. Mm. But I mean, it does seem like low-hanging fruit, doable, we can at least walk away from a situation feeling like we did something and we can definitely sort of account for the fact that we did something, whether or not it's actually what impact is required. <laughs> that's foreign aid to me, man. And foreign aid is... is... And that's not to say polio is not important. And no, da, 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 for sure. Da, da. That okay. aside, I do, we're talking about the financing, the yeah, financing yeah. of something because yeah. yeah. money drives change. To get right? something done exactly. to actually impact real people. Not a big fan of foreign aid. Never been a big fan of development aid because it, it creates a, a string of dependence. Absolutely. Well, a lot of, so my background before the lawyer thing was post-colonial theory as well as regional trade deals between different governments. Mm. And a lot of that was development aid. Absolutely. When a lot of colonial governments left our countries, a way of maintaining control was to give you aid. Yeah. Because when I gave you, you create aid, the crutch. you create a crutch. I mm. create a bunch of different requirements that you have to follow with this aid money. Mm. And if you don't do it, then you lose the aid money. Mm. And then with, with Mr. Gates, I have to come back to you for another 76 million because you don't just eradicate polio at $76 million. That's not how it works. Yeah. You do it once. I need to get another fund, mm. another fund. Impact investing has a lot of connotations of foreign aid mm. and post-colonial tones to it for sure. Mm -hmm. But what it does do and what it is different, at least it empowers entrepreneurs, hopefully on the ground, to be economically incentivized to solve these problems. That's the difference. When you give someone foreign aid, they're not economically incentivized to achieve anything. Right. Because you just get the money, you spend it, you have no, you don't have to give him back $77 million. Mm. But if you had to, and you had to solve the problem at the same time, Got it. at least there's an economic incentive to achieve impact. Got it. That's the difference. So let's try and get some blockchain stuff done. <laughs> That's so, I mean, I'm Ooh, not because you But yes. blockchain stuff before that, yeah. about the... Uh, Oil spill in Nigeria. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, you actually yeah, went. Yeah, 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 no, my friend. So yeah. my friend, Chi Nadi, he's running a company called Silla Labs. Silla-labs.com. Mm. I hope I get that right. Silla Labs. They use blockchain technology to do project verification. What that means is that I come into a village in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. I say I funded this project to clean up the oil spill. They're focusing specifically on the oil spill. I funded this project to fund the oil spill, but the problem is that by the time that money actually reaches the project execution, the person who takes out the project, it's been lost through corruption. The money has not actually been done. And the end point is that the project's not done. Yeah. So they're trying to create a platform such that when I fund a project, when I invest in a project, I can verify that it's actually been done. I got it. That's mm -hmm. what they use in blockchain for. That's and there's, really there's different ways of doing it, but okay. that's what he's focusing on. I have a lot of respect for him because he actually lives in the community now. They just yeah. moved to Nigeria and he's Nigerian. Mm. So they, they actually moved there. That's I can't lot. say the same for a lot of blockchain companies. That's a lot. Yeah, because they're busy. Busy coding. Yeah. Busy coding. Exactly. <laughs> from, like, from like Sweden. Yes. Which is okay. No, no hate Sweden. We love you over there. You're not our biggest <laughs> audience or anything. Countries. But yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. In the space, man. A lot of people in front of their computers, not in front of people. Yeah, yeah for sure. But that's a perfect segue because mine was really hard. It was like a sort of hard left. Go. Okay, from here to there. Perfect segue because yes. it's discussion time. We don't have a lot of time for it, but. It's worth mentioning again that we have mm. Marvin Colby here with us today, venture lawyer, founder of Raise Impact, a company building yes. a tokenized impact exchange to democratize private investments in emerging market companies. He's already said a little bit about that. He's been an excellent sport so far. Let's get into some interesting items. I, I've thought of a really quick way we could do this. Mm. I'm going to sort of suggest a signal and I'm going to let you guys sort of give me a sense of what's the 
underlying trend or the broader trend cool. okay. or phenomenon that's going on. We got it. Um, and to set that up, I'll say that I don't know what it's like in the Bahamas, but um, <laughs> I know you've lived in North America and other places too, but around <laughs> here, every town or city has neighborhoods where the white folks stay. <laughs> it's okay. the same thing, man. And the it's neighborhoods the where thing. the white folks used to stay. <laughs> Have either of y'all ever been to the Caribbean? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Y'all would be shocked at how similar we all are. For real? It's insane, dude. Well, like, you kind of from here. So but that's the thing. But, 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 M- yes, most but, of you anyway. but most, we, <laughs> yeah. in the Caribbean, we, we haven't been taught that. Yeah. African Americans haven't been taught that. African Canadians yeah. haven't been taught that. So it's hard for people to relate that. But, well, it, so we're going. You're going to have us in the Bahamas? Yeah, yo, whenever you're ready. Everything is the same. Yo, even Bahamas, you listening? Hey, Bahamas, everyone come in. Even yes. when I was in Kalisha this week, I went to church and I went yeah. to someone's home and I was looking and I was just like, this, this is literally is the Bahamas. Like, Hashtag leather couches, fake fruit <laughs> in the house, paintings. Yeah. The little ceramic dogs. Little ceramic. <laughs> even, even the remote control in plastic. The doilies. Yeah. The doilies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I saw that and I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. We're the same people. We yeah, haven't been taught that, man. Imagine, yeah, I was thinking as a segue. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I think this is interesting and I hope listeners listen to this. In the Caribbean is the social engineering of bringing slaves or African people mm-hmm. from the African continent to the Caribbean. Yeah. Part of being sure that people didn't revolt, people didn't fight back, people didn't resist, yeah. was that you mixed a bunch of different tribes and groups from all over the continent, destroy their language. Destroy their culture. Destroy the culture mm-hmm. such that to the point where they completely forget the fond memories that their ancestors would have had in the African continent. Mm. And what that creates is almost like a a a completely negative view of the African continent. Mm. So since we very close to the Caribbean, a lot of, to the US, a lot of the media were fed is that African continent is a set of poor people, disease-ridden amazing. issues, blah, blah, blah. That is amazing because that's that's incredible, dude. I, on my father's side, I cannot trace back past my great-grandfather, which means I have no idea what tribe we came from, nothing. That's yeah. how you destroy a people. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so we're trying to change that around here with this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, Wakanda, a humble, it's a humble, it's a humble, yeah, Wakanda yeah. for sure. It's, it's a humble effort, but we, we're trying, man. And we're really yeah. glad to have you here, by the way. Yeah, and I the reason like I that. brought up the whole the whole neighborhoods thing, I was yes. being provocative, of course, but I want to, yeah. the, the reason I said that is because um, it's kind of starting to feel like crypto is where the white folks used to stay. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> blockchain <laughs> tech, mm-hmm. all right, whatever that means to you, mm-hmm. um, is where they all moved to. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it feels like sitting from here, even just covering the scene, having like a modest understanding of the scene and stuff like that. So I thought that I'd, mm-hmm. I'd use that as the backdrop to basically start with this. The U.S. Securities uh, and Exchange Commission has halted uh, an initial coin offering made by Centratech and charges its founders with orchestrating a fraudulent initial coin offering. Uh, the co-founders have been charged with fraud after raising, I think, $32 million uh, after re- selling, quote-unquote, unregistered securities. Now, why am I flagging this specifically? Well, that's because you might know this company because of the likes of Floyd Mayweather, DJ Khaled. Um, they've used celebrity endorsements and social media to market their scheme, um, ignoring the SEC's registration and disclosure requirements. Mm-hmm. So that's the signal. What's the trend? The trend is... It is the start of a lot of companies going through similar prosecution and being very short-sighted and thinking that this wasn't going to happen. Right. It's going to get way worse for a lot of companies. So that's probably why Twitter is joining Facebook and Google Uh, and restricting crypto-related adverts on their platform. mm -hmm. Probably also why um, Google has started banning mining extensions on their browser, um, you know, Chrome, uh, crypto jacking obviously becoming a big thing. We don't have time to go into what that is. Sure. But basically people taking advantage of 
of apps to use your CPU's power to mine for, for crypto without your permission or knowledge often. Mm-hmm. Great decision. And, and yeah, so I suppose that's part of that trend still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's just securities law is not a joke. Man. You go to jail for this. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not a joke. Yeah. So I don't, I don't blame them for banning it. Okay. Signal. Uh, South Africa's shiny new president, Cyril Ramaphosa, suggests cryptocurrency for Africa mm. is a good idea. African Bitcoin might be a thing. Perhaps we'll start with a virtual currency and then a real currency later. Yes. He was, of course, ambushed at the forum where, you know, most of the con- the continent's heads of state signed for this, you know, trade, this United Trade Agreement. Mm. And, and of course, South Africa didn't. Mm. And he's ambushed um, immediately after this. And I think he's just trying to be super positive and stuff. But what do you guys think? That's the signal. What's the trend? Hmm. Conspiracy theory. Huh? Yeah. Go ahead. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Listen, we listen. Nepotism. <laughs> oh my word, for real? So explain. <laughs> so Tumelo Ramaphosa, who is Cyril's son, has got a very interesting startup in the <gasps> crypto space. Gasp. Stop. Gas. I kid you not. Stop. It's called Studix. It's actually quite an interesting. So exactly what uh, the Biz are trying to do for diamonds, mm-hmm. he's trying to do for wild animals. So one of the things that the Ramaphosa household has a lot of are beasts of burden. They've got like cattle. They've got oxen they've got lots of stuff buffalo like serious like prize game so he's tokenizing all these animals and he's got a real big play in the crypto space so my conspiracy theory is nepotism and to unpack (laughs) what you just said oh my word so that de beers for people who don't know also and and others of course but uh, certainly diamond producers like de beers or diamond traders or diamond People working in the diamond industry, big names in the diamond industry, are investing quite heavily in blockchain-related technology that might help them prevent, mm. you know, conflict diamonds like emerging in the markets, be able to that's, confirm that's... provenance and stuff like that. Signal again. So noted your conspiracy theory. Sort of segueing into the next signal, which is what I just said. What is the trend? Uh, that's they just making their operations much cheaper. Wow. When you have a blockchain supply chain application, you significantly drive down the cost of operating a supply chain based business like diamonds. Mm. So just like we were talking about earlier, this is the thing that you say you do. This is the thing that you actually do. It's two different things. So saying that I'm trying to prevent conflict free diamonds. Sure. That's an element of it. But if they were concerned about that, they would have been investing a lot of money in trying to solve that issue before. Yeah, not right. convinced they were doing it. So with blockchain, it's just like, cool. If I have a return on my investment, which is a significantly drive down my operating costs mm. and risk, then that makes sense. It's a mm. return on So investment. this is efficiency driven. Is a lot of blockchain applications is two big components. One is efficiency driven, one is decentralization. Yeah. Two different things. Yeah. Mm. A lot of people, a lot of big companies are not decentralizing anything or distributing anything. They're doing efficient things to make their companies cheaper to operate. And now it appears our president might have incentive to mm. to support both sides. Yeah. And the yeah, funny thing is, I also wrote an article about this the other, the, the other day, essentially speaking about, I've created a picture of Wakanda, and I thought to myself, an application of the blockchain that'll be just mind-blowing is around this land rights issue. You know, So if there was a sure. way that you could use land rights, you could overlay blockchain technology mm-hmm. on land rights, so you could map back over the years what the land ownership was in relation to tribal presence, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and that becomes something that is crystallized for your family forever and it's yes. secured i mean wouldn't that be an amazing application um, of, of blockchain technology so if anyone's doing this, it, it sound more difficult it sound more difficult than it actually is so we we work in back home mm-hmm. we have the same issue it is mm-hmm. same societies yeah. can't track our land so it's it's all over the place well wow. very easy you just take a land title hopefully that's clean yeah 
Because if it's not, that's problematic. Yeah. And you basically just time stamp it on a blockchain. You basically register it on a blockchain Correct. and exist there forever. Yeah. So it's I so easy to do. I suppose that. the challenge with us is that it would yeah, the retrospective part where we would mm-hmm. not need to rely on oral tradition. That's difficult. Correct. Correct. That's, that's difficult. That's a difficult part. The Which is also interesting as well. Yeah. Awesome, storytelling. So well, we better do it now before there's less of it around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know true. what I mean? Like less oral tradition to go there's around. There's two companies in Ghana. Ben Ben and Bitland that are working ah, on this. Bitland, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, one of those. Uh, we, yes. I, I met the, one of the co-founders of Bitland. Nice. Yeah, yeah I mean, in, they've been doing this for a while. Yeah, okay. yeah they've yeah. been doing Shout this to them. before people started really talking about it. Yeah. Um, we're trying to do it back home, but they they were like three, four years ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah been, they've been doing well. Happening right here on the continent. Well, yeah, listen, um, just we have time for just maybe one or two more. Signal. There was news that the Sierra Leone uh, government uh, ran, you know, the first blockchain-based election with tech that was created by a certain Leonardo Grammar of Agora and and this, you know, tech apparently anonymously stored votes in an immutable ledger. It was widely celebrated as sort of a landmark situation. The government coming out on, we did not do that. That is fake. We actually really hate that this news came out. Um, this fake news, as they're calling it, came out. We're really mad at this. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you know, news that the, the highly publicized situation of Venezuela creating its own crypto and trying to to work around like the the sort of trade bans it has with much of the Western world in order to still trade and, and, and stay afloat. Um, so, yeah, if those are the signals, what's the trend? That was a lot, man. <laughs> what was the first one again? Um, Sierra Leone. Oh, saying, Sierra Leone, yeah. Um, <laughs> that didn't happen. We didn't do blockchain. We didn't, we don't have some sort of voter, voter turnout record that is sitting on an immutable ledger on the blockchain, no. Uh, I don't think any incumbent or opposition government in the world, other than reducing costs, has an interest in making their elections more transparent. Okay. So, That's hmm. the response I have to that. And Venezuela? <laughs> He's smiling. Yeah. <laughs> we had an offline. I think he has a lot of thoughts. Fiat currency, the way it was envisioned, there's a reason fiat currency hasn't worked in countries with, that were not part of the Bretton Woods institution, which is North American European government. Yeah. There's a reason fiat hasn't worked for us. So that reason is that the system wasn't created by us. So cryptocurrency, as much as it's all the things that we say it is, it provides an opportunity for governments or people to create their own economic incentives, which means that you create your own isolated kind of economic environment. But it doesn't mean you're, you're, the rest of the world needs to like it or cooperate exactly. with you. Exactly. Which is clearly the case. Which in, is clearly in, in the, the case. case. And people, in Venezuela. People, Venezuela, people, Venezuela people. Is like, okay. Yeah. And Venezuela is a country that has always fought, I think, on, on and this is controversial, on the right side of what the situation we're given, man. Like yeah. Latin American countries have always fought against oppression. They've been some of the most courageous people in the world. So when things like that happen, like people obviously going to oppress them. But what they're trying to say is we're trying to create our own economy that doesn't rely on a fiat-based system, which is huge value. Do in you it. see more countries wanting to go that route? Absolutely. Um, what is it? Peg to the petrol is a different issue. I have issues with that. But mm. just a concept or idea of having a country that's been oppressed mm. create their own economic system that's not dependent on Federal Reserve banks from around the world. Huge value. And I see a lot of government... Or ratings agencies and stuff. Yeah, exactly. the rules have to be fundamentally different. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's the only way because otherwise you're playing in the system that was yeah. absolutely not created. In, not just not created by you, it was created to oppress you. So that's... Um, All right. That's the goal. The idealist speaking right there. Finally, Marvin mm. Colby, uh, you're mm. in South Africa. Mm-hmm. That's the signal. The signal. What's the trend, buddy? What are you chasing? <laughs> <laughs> what are we chasing? We're chasing... What are we chasing? We're trying to make... Finance more accessible to entrepreneurs. That's the end goal. Yeah. We'll focus on impact. So 
The vision is that if you have countries growing very quickly for the first time and startups are the new small business economy that we are going to deal with in the next 10, 15 years, if not already, um, and they're growing, then they have an opportunity to not make the same mistakes North Americans and Europeans did, which was prioritize profit over positive impact in the world. So that's what we're doing, trying to find a way to make that possible where entrepreneurs are incentivized to achieve as much impact as possible as opposed to necessarily profit. And that is a whole plethora of things. It's very difficult yeah, to do. That's cool. Um, but basically trying to reimagine how economies work. Um, but we right now we're starting off, like you mentioned, with impact measurement. Because okay. you can't build that economy if you can't measure impact. And if everything's going to be digitized in the next 10, 15 years for IoT, et cetera, you have to be able to verify and create impact measurement through those devices. Because I know you a little bit and mm. because I appreciate that your rhetoric is coming from a real place, with you, you can use impact all you like. Mm. You get a pass with me. Um, all, the rest of you, all the rest of you need to get a pass. All of you need to work your work your way into my good graces because um, every so often I do meet people who use that term in ways that sure. I can sort of ride with. Mm. And yeah, so we certainly wish you be- uh, well. Uh, thanks for coming through. Uh, I know you I also them. You, you were invited to be one of uh, the speakers at blockchain uh, the black at the blockchain Africa conference. Yes. The blockchain. <laughs> Did I say <laughs> the blockchain? Freudian slip. Freudian slip. <laughs> so here, here's a signal that I hope doesn't repeat itself. I.e., you were you were very nearly the only person of color invited to speak at that event. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to read into that. All I'm saying is I hope that doesn't turn into a trend. Shout out to you, blockchain conference, <laughs> um, blockchain can, Africa conference. Can I comment on that? Then? Yeah. Um, I think. I've noticed in the blockchain space, a lot of people are very skeptical about it. And if if South African culture is anything like behemoth culture, until foreigners come in to talk about something, we don't think is a real thing. Yeah. So I think that's what happened. Can we start moving into the neighborhood? Because it's not just the white-only Provence. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. true, man. Yeah, um, we're allowed here to... Yeah. Um, there's stuff for us to do. We can yes. add a lot of value, our yes. diversity and yeah. our views. And frankly, this is about us. 100%. So can we get involved? Um, so but now yeah. that seems legitimate, I don't think that'll ever happen again. I think there was a there's a pragmatism behind that, which mm-hmm. is bring basically the foreigners, one black expat included, yes, yes, and make it legitimate, and then from there you build from there. So that that team I work with closely, um, Blockchain Africa, Blockchain Academy, they're hot in the right place, man. They're doing incredible work. So cool. I think there was a pragmatism behind that, and it, and it worked. Absolutely, I, buzz, I do not mean to throw them under the bus in any way. For Everything sure. I've seen come out of that conference has been quality, not least. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, putting us onto you so fantastic. Well, no, we t- no, I should take that back. We we found about <laughs> Yo, you long before. Blue tick, yeah, blue yeah. Tick. yeah. That's what happened, man. Yeah, no, but definitely, definitely, uh, giving us a sense that you you're certainly a person we need to have on the show uh, with something meaningful to say. Thanks for being here. Now, Appreciate a big that, thank you also to the team at Afrobytes Tech Conference 2018 uh, for sponsoring this episode of the African Tech Roundup podcast. Now, listen, you do not want to miss what promises to be an incredible two day affair in Paris. Two days of incredible interaction uh, and and learning. The dates, June 7th and 8th, 2018. Head on over to afrobytes.com for all the details and to get yourself a ticket. That's afrobytes.com for all you need. One last time, thank you so much, Marvin Colby of Ray's Impact, Musa Kalenga, the homie. (laughs) The main man, the homie. Listen, guys, it's always a pleasure. It's been an incredible hour. Um, Thank you so much to our listeners, our village people. Hey, we see you, fam. Thank you so much. Take it easy, Africa. All right. Appreciate it, brothers.